So Jeffrey Marks, as a child, was able to live his childhood dream. I mean, how much can I move with this? How much can I move with this? Okay, because I've been known to pace and hit the podium with my hands, so I apologize in advance if that happens. I hope that I don't fall off the stage. If it looks like I'm about to hit the table, just please warn me. Um, back to the illustration. Jeffrey Marks, as a child, was able to live his childhood dream, and that was being being the ball boy at the time for the Baltimore Colts. And he remembered a lot of different details about being a ball boy for the Baltimore then, again at that time, the Baltimore Colts. But one was a player, and it was a defensive player, and his name was Joe, if I'm pronouncing this right, Ehrman or Ehrman. Um, and he remembers that, and then these two individuals would reconnect. Jeffrey later would become a journalist, and he goes to interview Joe, because they have demolished, or about to demolish, the Baltimore Colts stadium. So they reconnect, and Joe, who was the captain for the Baltimore Colts, this defensive player, was known for his play on the field, as no longer an NFL football player, but actually is a pastor, and he's volunteering at the time for the Gilman Greyhounds, a football team. So these two individuals reconnect, and as Jeffrey is walking around a game that he is used to from being a ball boy. He is watching Joe volunteer as one of the coaches, and he, he describes in his book A Season of Life in 2005 that all these things you would expect from a football team and a high school football team and coaches from that football team. You could go to a practice and you would expect certain things being done and said and all these different details, and then he describes this unexpected moment happens when you listen and you're around the team, and this is the unexpected moments, it's words, and it's the players saying to each other, I love you. It's coaches saying to the players, I love you. And part of what Joe, he would stand before his team, so just imagine for a moment that I'm, <laughs> I'm Joe, which I'm not, my name is Joe Mark, but just imagine for a moment you're the team, and he would say, what is my job? And the team would would repeat back to him to love us. And then he would say of his team, and what is your job? And they would say back to him to love each other. And Jeffrey describes in his book how formative this was to that football team, to those players who would grow up and have jobs and get married and be fathers, how just formative this foundation was of what is my job, it is to love you, what is your job, it's to love each other, and just saying something very simple and basic. So love needs a source, and love needs to be received. What is my job? Love you. It needs a source, and it needs to be received, but not only that, what is your job to love each other? Love is something that we also um, need to give. We need to initiate. We need to move towards others um, with that. And we're about to connect this to Ephesians. And what I share kind of, I'm an RU, the RUF campus minister at UTC. Um, our leadership team from this summer is so sick of me talking about the Pentagon. And I'm going to explain that in a moment. But part of, part of what I'm about to say is, this love and loving each other, it's a challenging thing to do. 
And I describe to them, and this is the Pentagon for simplicity's sake, um, we talk about a lot. What are the five things that are demanding on you when we go around and put these on the different parts of the Pentagon? And, and we start with school. When they wake up, because they're college students, the syllabus for whatever course or all of their courses that is combined together decides their day for them. It has been decided. So they're in school. A lot of them are working. You can even ask each semester, okay, guys, how many of you are working this semester? And the majority of the room hands go up. They're working. They have family. And then I have like a health category of kind of mental health, spiritual health, social health. And they're like, John Mark, what he always does, if we can't figure it out where to put in the Pentagon, he's going to say health. And I do that a lot. There's this kind of health category again body and soul holistically together, social health. Um, so what do we have so far? We have, again, school, we have work, we have health, we have family. And then the last part of the Pentagon, if they are interested, and they are at least on the leadership of Christian community or the church and RUF is the arm of the church on the college campus. So those are kind of the five points or parts of the Pentagon. And I ask them, and depending on which student and I'm saying this in the lives of students. I want you to think about it for your own life. Pick two. Pick three. Kind of these demands that we all have, it's hard to have all five of those to line and to feel connected in a way that we would like to feel connected. And part of we talk about in Jesus and the business of the Pentagon and what I started with this love is as Jesus moves towards us and Jesus moves in us to connect us to God and to connect us to each other and it is super challenging to feel connected. Pick two, pick three. I don't know if I've met anybody who has all five. And part of what is inside of that connection is if I connect, if you connect, if we connect, we live. And I don't always say if you don't connect or feel disconnected, you die. They're like, dude, what are you talking about? It's like something that I, we've got class tomorrow. Stop talking about death. So I just say, and it's a challenge to connect. In this passage and what we're going to be looking at from these selected verses, we can't get to everything but in Jesus, we're actually connected to God is the first point. And in Jesus, because we are connected to God, we are also connected to each other. He talks about it as membership. You are joined, one anothering. So we will begin with this first, um, this connection, and we are connected to him, we are connected to Jesus. Um, and I'm just going to start kind of with with this idea that was true of Jesus before creation with the Father, Son, and Spirit, and then he enters into creation, and it's entering into creation with Father, Son, Spirit, relationally safe and secure. Now, I just want you to think about the odometer, odometers of your life, or I want you to think about entering into any kind of social situation um, even entering into the church this day. Like, what would you do? What would you give? What would you pay for? 
What is the amount of money you would write that, that you would walk into any situation, you would stand before God, and you would always feel relationally safe and secure? Jesus enters into what we just celebrated with Christmas, this Emmanuel. God is with us. Not only is God with us, you will name his, his name will be called Jesus. He will save his people from his sins. And then we find with this moment of baptism, God says about Jesus, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Everyone, let's ensure that we do not miss this Jesus relationally safe and secure with the Father, and what does he do throughout the course of his life? He sees and he includes and he initiates with others so they might know with Jesus he is relationally safe and secure with God. And not only does he do this in his lifetime, is this to me like um, this wonderful human being, and this ideal human being of people who felt invisible, Jesus would say of them, I see you. People who believed if anybody else find out, ever found out about this, they would not love me. And Jesus would say, I know that about you. His entire life, ensuring others and those and initiating around him would be relationally safe and secure with God because what he was doing and what he was saying and what he was living. And as we confess the ancient creeds, he was born and not only was he born, not only did he live that, we know that he suffered and he died and he was raised and he ascended. And we have these words even in the garden when he's praying to God, if you give me an exit, I will take it. But if you are asking me to stay the course, I will stay the course. And we know that God does not give him an exit. The course continues to the cross. And then we have, to me, in Psalm, on the words of Jesus from Psalm 22, these words on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Taking, again, confidence that he is relationally safe and secure with God and at the same time being forsaken. And my question for us to stay is why in the world would he do that? And I want you to think about that, and I want you to process that, um, because part of that answer, a portion of that answer, is yes, to deal with our sin, of course. And in dealing with our sin, ensuring that from God and by God, we are made relationally secure with him, and it is a costly sacrifice of an innocent life. And in this costly sacrifice of this innocent life, it is in verse, again, Ephesians 5, verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. I'm not sure how you feel uh, about Harry Potter. Um, that's okay now. It's, I think it's like the 20 or 25th year. I can't, I can't believe it's like, now outdated. Um, but during the holidays, I reread Harry Potter and my daughter, Mary Margaret, who is eight, um, people have now started, her friends are reading Harry Potter. So over Christmas break, I've been reading Harry Potter uh, to Mary Margaret, which has been a super sweet. And every time I read, she has said, can you please read more? 
like, baby, dad's, I can, I actually, like, literally can't um, read more. My body is failing me. But part of this and the part that we are moving towards in this sacrifice is she's been trying to figure out, okay, um, Harry Potter is living with the Dursleys. They don't seem to be very nice to him. They make him live under the stairs. And I'm like, that's right. And every time she's picking up on a relationship and tension, it seems like, well, they don't seem very nice to Harry. And it's like, okay, uh, that's right. And she thought that, okay, I thought his parents were actually killed in a car accident. Apparently, that's not right. So what happened with his parents? And we're starting to get to that point and to that part of the story. And what Harry doesn't know and what Mary Margaret is learning is that Harry Potter's parents were not killed in this car wreck. Um, car wreck. They were actually, actually destroyed as his parents were defending him. And we read um, these words about Harry's mother and what she did for him and why Harry's life has been defined and identified by this very moment that he doesn't know about, but everybody or most in the story do, and that is this. Your mother died to save you. If there's one thing in Voldemort, Voldemort, I haven't watched the movie, so I don't even know how you pronounce the bad guy's name. It's one thing that he cannot understand. It is love. He didn't realize that love as powerful as your mother's for you leave its own mark. It leaves its own mark. Not a scar, no visible sign. To have been loved so deeply, even though the person who is loved is gone, will give us something, protection forever. It is in your very skin. And those who want to destroy you, who are full of hatred and greed and ambition, cannot touch you for this reason. It was agony to touch a person marked by something so good. And what Paul is writing to those in the Ephesians is about that type of love. that you are relationally safe and secure with God because what it costs God, not what it costs you. And it was this costly love, and we know the Holy Spirit who embodied, um, empowered Jesus throughout his earthly ministry now. He tells his disciple, now that Holy Spirit is empowering you, and you're protected, and you're safe, and you're relationally safe and secure because of what? It costs me. And now Jesus is the beloved, and now we as his people are his beloved children. And I'm just going to read these words from Henry Nouwen. Um, what if we started believing that to be true of ourselves, that we are the beloved children? That we, because of Christ, now stand before Father, the Father, and each other relationally safe and secure with him. He wrote this. We don't have to kill ourselves with our actions. We don't have to kill ourselves with our spiritual exhaustion and spiritual burnout and our anxiousness and restlessness and lustfulness and anger and we're never really satisfied because we are the beloved and he writes this, we are the beloved. 
We are intimately loved long before our parents, teachers, spouses, children, and friends loved or wounded us. That's the truth of our lives. That's the truth I want you to claim for yourselves. That's the truth spoken by the voice that says, you are my beloved, because what happens in Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. He's heard of your faith, love towards all the saints, and he talks about life in the beloved, which is Jesus. And then and by Ephesians chapter 5, what is true of Jesus is now true of us. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children those who are relationally safe and secure with God. And that leads us um, to our second and final point. If that is true of us because of Jesus before God, now that can be um, true of us actually with each other. In the story, I'm not sure how many of y'all have read a man called Uba. But part of his life, and he describes it in this way, and uh, you might know this type of person, you might actually uh, be this type of person. He is practical and he believes in tangible things. So he has two boxes. One box is a small practical box and you open the lid and because it's a practical box, (laughs) everything that you need that is practical is in the small box. Well, if you need something that is big, then it's the big box of practical things. And he also talks about his life. You have two boxes that are practical, and his worldview is seeing things that are tangible, that are real, that you can touch. Therefore, he likes things, and he describes them in this way. He says, I like glass. I like concrete. I like steel. I like wood. I like things that I can see, and I like things that I can touch. And he's also proud. He says, I see the world in black and white, and I'm proud of it. That is, until he meets someone. And when he meets someone, he describes her in this way. She was full of color, and she was full of life. She was all the color I've ever had. And the premise and the tension of the story is what does he do with that loss? And to use a line from Death Cab from from Cutie, what happens when there's a lack of color here? She passes away. And for him, there is no color. There is no life. And part of what is happening in the story is he's just trying to complete a task, this tangible thing in his home, and neighbors continue to knock on the door because they need him. And what is happening in this moment, and I think the beauty of the story and the beauty of the gospel, is he needs to be peopled again. Maybe this very day you need to be peopled. And in this context of being peopled, and for those who are the Ephesians, need to be peopled as well. They need to be people who make and keep friends. They need to be people who speak the truth in love. They need to be people who walk in truth in love. They need to be these type of people, and then these type of 
people, Ephesians write from Paul, that are joined together by Christ, that are connected together by Christ, that are members of one another, that are called saints, that are called these beloved um, children. And in these moments, and in these this moments of, again, the challenges that exist and the challenges that are to connect, Paul is encouraging, and again, I can't um, get to all of this today, but I would encourage you to read Ephesians, of all these ways that he is telling them that they can have assurance from Jesus that they actually are connected to God and connected to each other. And there are places where they are feeling frustrated and it's too difficult and it's too hard and kind of, again, Paul is encouraging them and God is at work to continue to meet you and all those challenges and places of disconnection that you actually might be um, connected. Because I do wonder and I want to include with this way going back to one of the reflections that I wanted to share And I'm not sure uh, if Brent has mentioned Wendell Berry. I'm not sure if you have heard of Wendell Berry or read about Wendell Berry. But um, what I appreciate about his writing, appreciate about his writing, is the sense of connection to people in a place. And he writes about in the sense of membership. And he wrote, and the tension that I feel in my own life, about the individuals who are misunderstood or mistreated by community or all the different ways that we might enter into a social setting and feel that we're actually not apart for whatever reason. And I think we do need to be reminded, again, from this letter that is simple and clear and extremely profound, that we actually do belong, that we belong to God's church, and it's an invitation for you to consider um, this day that we actually belong in the lives to each other. And what I appreciate about Paul, he talks about it as walking. And the more I've thought about this, I wonder where, again, you are this day. Are you making steps towards people? Are you making steps away? If somebody watched your life, are you mainly driving and doing things in your car and around Knoxville um, by yourself? Are there people in the car with you? Do you have someone that you can walk um, through life and in life with that is side by side so you're moving in a direction and can you live life with others as well that is face to face? I think it is something we all do desire and we all long for and we know again from Jesus that he actually makes that happen. And what is true of a football team might actually also be true of us. If we could ask of Jesus, um, what is his job? It is to love us. And he could ask of us, what is our job? It is to love each other. So let's close in prayer.
Um, Father, we do thank you again uh, for this time. We do thank you for um, your word. And as this is something that the Ephesians must have been wrestling with, what does it mean if we are connected to you now? What does it mean for now our relationships? What does it mean for the task in front of us? What does it mean um, for the days that we live? Father, I would just pray that you would continue to use your spirit to apply your word to us, because I don't know this day the places where we feel disconnected, but you do. I don't know this day all the places we feel isolated, but you do. I don't know this day if people are coming um, because they are part of this church and this local body, or they're just coming today to check this out. I would just pray that we would continue to be reminded again, over and over, we are connected to you by your son, therefore we're relationally safe and secure. And we are connected to each other by your son, so we can experience what it means to be relationally safe and secure. Thank you for this day, thank you for this time, in your name we pray, amen.